This podcast features three supposed adults who definitely use adult language. They're also supposedly writers who are definitely not procrastinating by making this podcast. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to No Bad Ideas, the storytelling game show where we take the worst ideas from the internet and try to turn them into stories that are actually good. My name is Gabriel Urbina, and I am your first Bad Ideas host. My name is Zach Valenti, and I'm your second Bad Ideas host, because Sarah can't make it today, unfortunately. Alas, we are flying without Sarah today, which makes the plane so much more likely to crash and kill a bunch of people in a horrible, fiery ball of mayhem. Uh, <laughs> Podcasting flight-related accident, as is wont to do. However, to try to pull us out of this inevitable tailspin, we have two uh, grizzled veterans of No Bad Ideas returning to the show once again. They are the writers and creators of Victoriosity, two very good friends of ours from across the podcasting Atlantic. It's Chris and Jen Sugden. How are you guys? Hi. Hi, guys. We're, we're good. I'm good. Are you good, Chris? I'm all right. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be back. Yes, thank you for having us. Of course. No, we're amazed that anyone ever concedes to come back to the show for more zaniness. So we're <laughs> thrilled that we were able to maneuver you back into the podcasting chair. I, I mean, time heals, right? A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of time has passed. Um, it's all kind of rushing back now, but we've already started recording. So it's... it's, so it's crap now. No way out the through. Onwards, exactly. That, that's true. And also, astonishingly... Nobody picked up the last two ideas that we flushed out. So, yeah. I mean, this gotta, is the one. We got to do this two new one. ones. Yeah. yeah. They're still out. They're still available for Absolutely. like studios. Right. <laughs> yeah. Just in case some folks did not get to hear that earlier episode we did with you guys um, or for any of our forgetful listeners. Uh, do you want to just quickly tell folks what your own show is about? What is the elevator pitch for Victoriosity, which is a show that we highly recommend and endorse here at No Bad Ideas? I mean, experience tells us that the, our elevator pitch would be to pull the emergency stop to have more time. <laughs> um, but, 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 but as briefly as we can, uh, I think we, uh, Victoriosity is a, it's a detective comedy fiction audio drama set in a sci-fi Victorian past, essentially. Um, the core conceit is the city of even greater London, which is uh, London that's spread across half of uh, England's landmass, um, which I'm sure, well, very small to America. Americans is still a very large city. Um, <laughs> and we follow the adventures of Detective Inspector Archibald Fleet and journalist Clara Entwistle um, with their very different views on this um, wonderful uh, megalopolis as they fight crime and attempt to save the day. Outstanding. Well done. Thank you. No, I thought that was a lovely brisk summary of a lovely show, which again, we highly recommend everyone go listen to. Uh, but first, We've got some business to attend to. This is No Bad Ideas, the show where we find some really terrible ideas that people have had, try to turn them into the pitch for a good movie or a good TV show or a good book or a good, I don't know, Zoe trope or something <laughs> in just 10 very short minutes. I've got the first bad idea today. Are you guys ready to jump on in? Please. Please, yes. Bracing myself. So we joke on this show that the most recurring character on No Bad Ideas is the dubious superhero known as Florida Man. Today, I have a bad idea that involves not Florida Man, but a Florida creature. 
and where that interfaces with the humankind around it. So let's jump on in to this NPR article. There will be a link in the episode description in case you would like to read along, dear listeners. For reasons of slight suspense, I'm going to skip the article headline. We're going to come back to that, but let's just like jump right on into the body of the article itself. So it reads, starting later this summer, Hundreds of hunters will disperse across Florida's Everglades. Their target, an apex predator known to grow up to 18 feet that hunts animals as large as alligators and sometimes as small as wood rats. These hunters are going after the Burmese python, one of the largest species of snakes. Native to Southeast Asia, these snakes were first introduced to the Florida wild in the late 1970s and have reproduced to an astronomical level since. (laughs) And that is why, starting on August 5th and continuing for 10 days, these hunters, both professionals and novices, will fan out in South Florida to capture and kill these snakes for the state's annual Python Challenge. (laughs) Now, I'm going to skip a little bit ahead of this article because it gets into... um, you know, sort of the ecological reasons why they're doing this and why this is actually like an interestingly good practice from a certain point of view. But I'm just going to like skip ahead to the good part, which is all of the crazy stuff that the people that engage in Florida's annual Python challenge do. I see a photo of Rick DeSantis holding a snake leather football. So this can only go well. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Aside from actually having to catch a Burmese python, participants have to contend with the harsh environment of the Florida wilderness in the middle of summer. Take it from Khalil, a lifelong snake lover and python hunter. She works as a contractor for the South Florida Water (laughs) Management District. I have to stop at snake lover and python hunter. That's right. Okay. This woman contains multitudes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Carry on. Transposed to dogs or cats for horror. Last year, Khalil competed in the 10-day competition and came out on top in the professional category after catching 19 pythons. Last year's grand prize winner, a man named Charles Datton, successfully removed 41 pythons. Wow. Khalil plans on competing later this summer, but for her, it's just business as usual. For the newbies considering a go at the $10,000 grand prize, Khalil has some tips and tricks. And this is where we get to the part of this article that sold me on this being a bad idea, which is the headline in this, the like subheadline in this article that reads Tips for Wannabe Python Hunters. Ah. Because again, there is the professional division and there's the amateur division in this competition. So, (laughs) you gotta keep it fair. Of of, of course, there are divisions. (laughs) These nocturnal snakes can be found in vegetation, grass, and by the road. For the competition, the snakes have to be presented dead. The state requires certain methods of humane extermination, thank you, Florida, and within 24 hours of their capture and kill. Since the competition is happening in August, most of the pythons will be relatively young and not as large as a fully grown adult. Though these snakes are not venomous, they are massive constrictors and can easily kill a person. She suggests hunting and competing with a partner due to the risk posed by the harsh environment. There are several native snakes that call the Everglades home, some of which are venomous, like the cottonmouth. 
Those are not on the kill list during the competition. Khalil suggests before heading out, quote, really, really brush up on your native snake because we're out there trying to save the environment. We don't want any native snakes killed, including the venomous ones. They belong out there. That transgression will also get you eliminated from the competition and fined. It's not a walk in the park, she said. You have to be very aware and understand the environment that you're heading into. From then onwards, the article, as NPRs want to do, becomes a thoughtful exploration of how these snakes were introduced into the environment of Florida and how like the, you know, biodiversity situation has gotten to the place where it is. It's all very exciting and fascinating, but it is no longer focused on the bad idea of let's have a competition where amateurs are encouraged to look for deadly, deadly snakes, while at the same time having to make sure that they only kill certain kinds of deadly, deadly snakes. The other deadly, deadly snakes should be left alone or you will be disqualified. Ugh. Of course. So that is what I have for you all. Just just stands to reason. Okay. Naturally. uh, 10 minutes on the clock. The time starts running right now. So I'm thinking everybody loves a good underdog sports story. And of course. Yes. Right. I agree. For me, that's falling into this genre. You're thinking of a Space Jam type scenario? One of many. <laughs> all sports films, I guess. Yes, all sports Every that's sports just my film stuff, ever so that's made. That's my opening gambit. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. I'm just loosening the pickle jar. So. Oh, the, oh, I see. That's the end of the idea. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so who's the under... Is the underdog a plucky amateur hunter slash snake lover um, sort of cry, <laughs> crying as they do the merciful thing? Or is it the snake themselves? Is it like a snake escaping from this right, like, or battle the royale? snake revenge. Mm. Snake revenge. Yes. <laughs> the snakes fight back. That's right, because it's an annual tradition, right? It is. So it is an annual competition, yeah. yes. So it could very much be like a sort of, you know, you shot my father, prepare to die. Prepare to die. Uh-huh. I am Inigo Montoya, an 18-foot python. Except it would be like, I am Inigo Montoya. You know, like you would need to kind of get a lot of like the hissing sounds in there. Of course. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> we need a more sibilant <laughs> name yeah, for sorry, the protagonist. Sorry. We, we, we can do, yeah, get the dialect uh, coach in um, further along, for sure. Right, um, right, right. Yeah, okay. No, I like the sports angle. Yeah. No, I think I think, I think think the, the crux of this, is, as, as, as Gabriel's pointed out, is um, professionals versus amateurs. Right, you wouldn't. Yeah. You don't expect the amateurs to win. No, That's the whole point of separating. Underdogs. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay, okay. Yeah. So who's our plucky amateur? Is it someone like new to the contest? Like they they just stumbled into the Everglades on the ha- on the day this happens to be happening. Mm. They're desperately in need of money. Just just so desperate for large quantities of money for some reason. Yes. Yes, because the, the prize is, was huge, right? What was it, 10 grand or something? Uh, prize seemed to be $10,000, I believe, for the amateur competition. Yeah. Right. Okay, that's, that's going to solve some problems if you win that prize. What about they found themselves in financial hardship because one of their parents or ancestors excuse lost me, that all is, the fa- Excuse me, that is the grand prize. $10,000 is for whoever kills the most snakes overall. But okay, still. So, okay, so you got to beat the professionals as well. Yes. Okay, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, fine. Right, right. So... What, so, um, so they, somebody has a debt because of their ancestors. Uh, what, who, is their, who, who, what have they done? No, maybe they, maybe they <laughs> entered the competition, uh, oh. spent all their money on kit... Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you know, maybe wagered the, the family home or something as a professional snake hunter right. and, and accidentally caught a garter snake or something. A cry um, mouth and, or something. And, yeah, native, got, right. got fined, oh. lost everything. Forfeited their kit, um, their entry for everything. Yeah, and now 
two generations later or whatever they um so still burdened by this story death. in some way <laughs> yes yes uh, and you've got the element of them being an amateur maybe their you know hunter parent refused to let them have anything to do with snake hunting even yep. though they loved snakes and were desperate to hunt them yes okay family of snake hunters historical tragedy stopping them getting involved latest generation goes against parents wishes gets involved going for the grand prize amateur or not just just gonna so, do it so i'm kind of hearing a, a, like a coco type scenario where for a long time this was a family of snake hunters at a certain point say two generations ago somebody really messed up and now the family is staunchly anti-snake hunting except now the youngest member of the new generation they feel the call excuse me the hiss of the wild and they <laughs> yes, sort of yes. feel that they yeah. need to reconnect with their roots and yeah. go hunt some snakes. They, yeah. they, they can tell something's missing from their But lives, of course, right? because their family has been against it so long, they haven't gotten all the proper training. And, you know, so they are an amateur. No. They don't know what they're doing. They just have the instinctual drive to go hunt some snakes. They've just got skill, right? They've just got raw sort of primal skill that uh -huh. um, presumably a grizzled veteran notices and cultivates. Yeah, yeah, like maybe there's like a really nice scene where they're just, you know, out and about, you know, in Florida on yeah. the Everglades and, you know, yeah. a snake swims through the water yeah, and they yeah. just just instinctively just kind of just grab it out of the water before it manages to hurt anyone. Maybe hmm. somebody, yeah, a, yeah, a grizzled old yep. hunter character sees that, sees that and is like, you, you could be the person to, to, to not only win the grand prize, but rid Florida of all the Burmese pythons. Yeah, you could, you, you're the one. You're the one. Right. Yeah, Snake yeah. Okay. Excalibur. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I actually quite like this because there's even a built-in element of when the protagonist's great-grandfather and great-great-grandfather before him and great-great-great-great-grandfather before him, when they were hunting, it was the local snakes of this balanced ecosystem that belonged in Florida. But at a certain point, these foreign snakes were introduced into the environment and they're so much bigger and so much more powerful. And so it isn't even, you know, the same snakes that his family once hunted. It is now these super extremely powerful foreign snakes. That's right. So, so, so I mean, the, the, the play nice tactics of the past, they're not going to work. With, with no, the, no, with no. The, the like right? genteel civility of the old uh, snake hunter. Yeah, that that the, doesn't cut it anymore. The, no, the the pre nineteen fifty snake hunting code of honor. Um, <laughs> that you he's going to have to reject that entirely, which is just going to distance him even further from from his father. And I yet, assume. there can be sort of an element though of all the new people are. All the professional hunters nowadays, they are really depending on their high-tech kit and their, you know, advanced infrared sensors. He has to find a balance between the ways of the old while also modernizing. You know, he's kind of bringing a touch of that old-school yep. civility and a touch of that old-school snake-hunting knightly chivalry into it while also <laughs> kind of upgrading it with a modern pragmatic edge. Yeah. 
I, I, th I think you can have that balance by putting the technology at a distance, right? So rather than walking up to the water's edge and just machine gunning into it, right? right? Which right. would be would be sort of that's sort kind of, of where the professionals are today. That's, what, that's, that's the professional way of approaching it, right? Like just machine gunning or grenading the water, right? It's not how we do things in the past, right? <laughs> right, what, right. What, what our what our hero does is he's using his own bare hands as as he naturally did, nice. but. Um, he also, uh, I'm going to say he has access to heat sensing satellite technology that uh -huh. uh, let, let him find the pythons uh -huh. in the first place. Because, I mean, my, my knowledge of the Florida Everglades is limited, but I'm guessing it is the size of my country. It's a swamp as large as most places I've ever been. Well, right? once you factor in the different layers, once you factor in that there's a tree canopy and the underwater segments and all yeah. the like you know i think mm. easily the size of your country if not larger. easily 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 and we can get one of those air boat chases yes. that'll be a great scene everybody loves an action everybody scene loves an, an airboat an airboat yeah yeah um is that what they're called sorry with, with the fans on the back yeah is that what they're called <laughs> what are they called i know exactly what you're talking about See, this is where we need our southern correspondent, Sarah Shaka, yeah. to be able yes. to easily shake her head at our ineptitude and tell us what <laughs> yeah. they're called. But unfortunately, we are Sarah-less today. Uh, uh -huh. So I'm going to just autocratically say, uh, absolutely, they're called airboats. Boom, done, absolutely. solved it. Great, solved. Okay. okay. Is there perhaps a notoriously massive snake that even the very violent modern hunters have not been able to track down and kill. And it is just this 30 footer monstrosity. Like it is the snake out of Anaconda, that classic of 90s cinema. And yeah. there is perhaps sort of, it can be sort of set up as if he was, a, if he would be able to catch that snake, whatever it's called, you know, I don't have a great <laughs> immediate name out uh, of my hat. Uh, but. B b big Pete. Great. If he's able to catch Big Pete, that would sort of prove that he is the ultimate in snake handlers. Okay, see now I, I, I'm not sure about that because I think okay. I think I think a snake of that size would be revered. Mm. Uh, and I, I'm wondering whether even the hunters would think it's bad luck. You can't do this to Big Pete. Right, it's it's 140 ah. years. It's it's you know it's it's as old as right. It's basically Florida. a dinosaur at this point. Right. Yeah, okay, basically, okay. right. If it survived this long, who are we to kill it? But fair, fair. I do, I, I do wonder if if it should be part of the narrative. Like maybe there is a there's a there's got to be a nemesis, right? A yes. primary antagonist. One of the pros, I assume. Nasty yeah. methods. Uh, winner take all. No, you know, no holds barred. Mm. I think he's gonna go for Big Pete. He's uh, not gonna care. He's not gonna care. Uh, um, I see. Uh, he, he, even though he's been guided against it, he's gonna do that just to kind of you know prove that he's the best pro ever, whereas our hero has more respect. Um, well, we should talk about what that confrontation is going to look like. Oh, no, wait, unfortunately, that is time. We are uh, done. So um, studio uh, executives, if you would like to hear about that confrontation, uh, call our number and tell us that you want to buy the hunt for Big Pete. <laughs> 1 800 bad ideas for money. That's right. Bad ideas for money. <laughs> I mean, we say we say the studio should call us. I, did I, did we actually say it should be a film? Because I was very taken with the idea of a Zoe trope. Oh, nah. oh, 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 sure. Uh, in that case, uh, the Zoe, Zoe trope makers call us. There's less. There's less money in it, uh, but you know, it, it, constraints breed creativity, right? I, I think. I think, we, I we think could... they're poised for a comeback. I think. I think <laughs> Brooklyn hipsters are going to be really into Zoe tropes in yes. the next five years.
Excellent. A, a half-second na animated narrative. We can do it. We can do it. We Weirdly, have the they may have a renaissance in an era of virtual reality. Um, yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah. Because okay. you don't have to We're ship out first. a bunch of zoetrope players. <laughs> yeah. That's true. That's, that, that, that is their fallback. <laughs> awesome. Well, I think we smashed it. That's British for good. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, that may not be the only thing that you want to smash in the not <laughs> did great sense of things, because uh, I have an idea from you from theinformation.com. Will your cheating heart tell on you? As Americans lose trust in each other, they're turning to tech to detect lies. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. A few All months right. ago, inside a soundproof room attached to his office, Dennis Cates, a retired police officer and founder of Mid-Valley Polygraph in Potterville, California, cleared his throat. Already, I hate this. And directed his client to answer an awkward question. Oh, yeah. Get ready to hate more. Yeah. No, this is bad. Have you ever had sex with your husband's brother? No, the client answered, clicking false on the screen in front of her. Unfortunately, her pupil dilation blink rate, and involuntary eye movements as captured by an infrared camera logging 60 data points per second per eye told another story. 15 minutes later, iDetect, the artificial intelligence-powered lie detection program licensed by Cates, spit out a score. You failed the test, Cates informed the woman. They exchanged glances. Her husband awaited the results in Cates' office. Do you want me to tell him? Or do you want to? Jesus. Cates always checks in with his test subjects at this point as disclosures have occasionally turned violent. In this case, the client opted for Cates to deliver the bad news. He ushered the couple into his office and gently explained the test's findings. Okay, wait, 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 wait yep, just yep, one yep, moment, yep. though. Waiting. So the person being subjected to this polygraph test, they're the client. They're the ones paying well, the detective to subject them to this thing. I think it's in groups of more than one. Where I see, I see. the person who is demanding it be done has the money and is the client, and the person who is having it done to them thinks they can beat it, because how good can this shit be anyway? Slash sure. doesn't have any other option for whatever reason, be it financial dependence, okay. um, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, okay. bad times. Yeah, no, not good. I told him that the test isn't 100% accurate. I detect claims inaccuracy of 86 to 88%, but her physiology is showing signs of deception, Kate's recounted. Ah, the husband ah. blinked, stood up, and shook the ex-cop's hand. Thank you, he said. He exited. His wife ran after him, plaintively calling his name. I, I hope to God that that wasn't the 12... To fourteen percent of right. false positives uh, or false whatever false lies. Yeah, um, like I don't know. Like that seems like a high failure rate for to me for something like this. But all right, let's keep going. I could go on, but I think you get the idea. It basically goes on to outline how many co companies are competing in this space and how the price point is coming down so drastically on devices such as this. <laughs> And also, uh, uh, the percentage of men and women that cheat on their partners and why this is going to be a growing space for years to come. So, Excellent. Love it. Yes. 
I just want to clarify. Yes, you, yes. you found this. You found this on a website called theinformation. Yes, yes, a tech news site. I feel somehow less informed than when I started. But all right, <laughs> let's, 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 let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, it's a long. You read. know, one of my favorite factoids about polygraphs, or like most of what I know about polygraphs, is that most people are in absolute agreement that they don't work and that they should not be in use. Uh, this sounds a little bit more legit than a normal polygraph because it's actually measuring sort of like micro expressions and fast reactions. Now, this is some Blade Runner shit. Yeah. But apparently at a certain point, the inventor of the polygraph, I think I got this from an episode of Adam Ruins Everything, uh, did a polygraph test on some plants. And yep. the plants registered, sometimes telling the truth and sometimes lying. And instead of concluding, wow, I have built a machine that just like gives random results that have no bearing on anything. The man concluded, oh, my God, plants are sentient, have souls yeah. and can yeah. lie and tell truth wow. willingly. <laughs> Your tone suggests you, you think that's laughable, but but plants do lie, right? So uh -huh. I, I think we have to... They say they say they have enough water when they don't. Um, they, they'll, they'll, they'll die within 12 hours just because you forgot to walk, water them for two weeks, right? Like, you know, they, they, sure, they're, they're sure. very... They're very untruthful. Flighty creatures, plants, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Who, who knows what goes on in the, the okay. inner lives of, of your average cactus. Um, Terrific. Yeah. No, I, 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 the thing is, I want to get sucked into this guy's shady business, but we have yes. to actually make a pitch out of it. So um, <laughs> my inclination is to ignore everything my mind is telling me and just sort of take it for granted that what he's doing works is yes. a good service and is a good idea and make this a heartwarming story of entrepreneurship sort of in a hostile world, right? He, he's come up with a great idea. He's improved on polygraphs, one of the 20th century's most beloved and reliable forms of truth accreditation. Yep, absolutely. He's added iris detection with 60 data points per second per <laughs> eye, which I, I, I'm impressed by, regardless yeah, yeah. of whether those data points are valid, just yeah. the sheer number of them, right? Like, yeah. Everybody knows more data is better. Absolutely. More data equals more reliable. And he's, he's importantly, he's protecting people from honest conversations with their spouses, right? He's, he's, <laughs> he's, he's providing a service to bypass all of that and um, really just pull the, pull the bandage off and uh, end these marriages before, you know, uh, any sort of discussion has to, has to happen. See, my instinct may be to take that and go in a slightly different direction with it. My instinct, I think you're absolutely right that we need to begin from a place of against what we know in the real world. Let's take it for granted that this machine does work. And I think you could do a setup like the um, the Francis Ford Coppola film, The Conversation, where um, Gene Hackman works as this guy that is hired to overhear and record sort of secret conversations, usually for people who are cheating on their spouses or for politicians doing shady deals. And one time he records a conversation and when he listens to it, he realizes, I think that if I hand this into my employer, somebody is going to die. I think that if I hand this in, someone will get killed as a result of this information that I'm providing. Wait, is, this, so, is this your idea or is this the film? This is, is the film, this The Conversation, the, which the I think is film. phenomenal okay. and highly, highly recommended. But okay. could there be a setup like this one where we have our protagonist, he has his 100% reliable 60 data points on the iris truth-telling system, 
and he gets hired to determine whether someone is lying or not. They are lying, but he realizes like, oh, wait a minute. If I say that they are lying, this is going to have horrible, horrible consequences. This is going to destroy lives. Hmm. And so now he has to be the liar. He has to make a choice whether to tell the truth or to lie. And then maybe has to deal with that. Could work. Okay, so what what would such a such a secret lie be that would be worth him covering up his great invention? I think obviously the results of Florida's annual python hunting competition. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> obviously. Well, obviously. So somebody's op- opened the envelope to reveal the winner yes. and said a name and then he's convinced them to come into his windowless room and sit in front of this um, eye detect machine and just affirm that he read out the name the that correct was on name yes. read out the correct name and he sees from the his side of the machine this false, person false, is lying false 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 false, 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 false. yeah oh my god this all is the sequel this is the sequel <laughs> this is the yeah. sequel <laughs> yeah all 60 points of the iris anal- analysis all say this person is an extremely capable liar they will fool absolutely everyone else but not us we know he's lying absolutely yeah yeah it's never it's never been happened before that all 60 parts of each iris are lying <laughs> all, all at the same time mm. that's that's the most lying eyes he's ever seen yeah in, okay in, so in slightly in slightly more seriousness i imagine something like the end of the third season of the west wing where a president has had a foreign terrorist killed and is denying any knowledge about it but he sort of yes. like you know somehow the president comes in for some silly event. He's doing a PR thing. He's getting a lie detector. The conversation somehow rolls in the wrong direction. And this guy realizes, oh my God, he is lying about not being involved in that foreign head of state's death. Great. That, that that that's brilliant. Yeah, that, that the president gets caught out after being on. Maybe it's just a it's a fun show that that you know the president's doing to you know sort of up his popularity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he gets asked as a joke. Yeah. Um, at the end of at, at the end, frivolous things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and, and by then the cameras, the cameras have stopped rolling. It's no longer on the air, but he's still hooked up to the machine. The only one that catches it is the inventor of this 60-point lie detection. Yeah. But mm. he still yeah. has the readout, so he knows. Yeah. He knows and, the truth. And if he reveals the president's lying, I mean, the president's got... He could have him killed quite easily, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. That's easy and legal. Yeah, well, there you Absolutely. go. Yeah, right. um, no revealing so, state secrets. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So, this is a sort of deep state uh, counter espionage type man on the run type This is now kind of an Edward, an Edward Snowden. Three days of the Condor. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Three days of the Condor. Exactly. Yeah. I know too much. He's on the run. He presumably takes his machine with him. Um, Probably. He's, he's, got, he's got the readout. He's got his proof. So he's got to save himself. And presumably, or presumably at first, he's most interested in saving himself. Although no, no, because they don't know he knows. So what's his inclination? Is it to go to the press? Maybe he starts thinking that way and then he gets a little hint. A little hint from someone. A man in a grey suit. And that's not a good idea. Yeah. I think that that's... I think that maybe has to be it. He goes to the New York Times or the Washington Post or whoever, tells the story to a junior editor. The junior editor bumps him up to a managing editor. The managing editor bumps him up to a big, big, big editor. At a certain point, the big, big, big editor tells him, great. Give us a copy of all your data. This will be in the news tomorrow. It'll be great. Wakes yep. up tomorrow, front page. It's Paris Hilton's birthday. I and mean, he's going, why isn't my 
stuff on here. Yeah, and the more junior editors that he goes back to to ask what's happened are nowhere to be seen. They're not yeah. there anymore. Absolutely not. And, yeah. and they're like, they didn't exist as people. What yeah, are you talking no, about? They didn't work okay? yeah. Yeah, yeah. Would you like yeah. us to call someone to help you? Yeah. Right. This yeah. other person, they've been the junior editor for the past 14 years. Look at all the photographs on the wall. They are very clearly the person that was here yesterday. Okay, so now he, he knows there's a cover-up. Yes. There's black vans following him. Yeah, he suspects he might be in danger. Black vans that say on the side, flowers by Irene, to steal a joke from The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> and then um yeah so he he presumably go, goes to ground somewhere with with his machine um and he has to make it through the underbelly of society without his usual position and privileges as a as an ex-cop entrepreneur but with a super accurate lie detector in the last 30 seconds what is it called the film uh Pants on fire. Um, 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 the truth will kill. The truth will set you dead. Yes, <laughs> yes. The truth will truth set, will set, you, set dead. you dead. Yes, Souls. thank you, Zach. Amazing. Excellent. Brilliant. <laughs> and that is time. Wow. Oh my god. Thank you folks for turning this Black Mirror-esque nightmare into an entertaining idea for a movie. That is absolutely what it is. It is a nightmare. It is a nightmare. And the the stats are bad. I mean, like, I know it's better, but like, what was it, like 88% accurate? How the hell does he know? How has he calibrated that? Has, is it, has, he, has, he, has he had a hundred people confess? Like, what, <laughs> what, what, how, how does he have any idea what is positive rate? I assume that that is the way that you would do it. You would do a trial with 100 people, and there yes. are certain control tests where they will yeah. sort of tell people, like, you know, unbeknownst to the guy, sort of, please lie on question 23, and then they'll kind of look at other ones, and question 23 will be, they told them to tell the truth. I still question anything about this, but like, I think it was terrifying is that there will be some people that will continue to think that there are machines that can accurately gauge whether someone is lying or not and keep using them for things that will have legally binding consequences. Yes. For a fact check, it was pro- 86 to 88% accurate. Okay. And this was averaged across three studies they did with the caveat that we can only test on past actions, not on future intent. Yeah, right. that makes sense. That, that seems reasonable. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah that, that, that's the one reasonable part of it. Well, I would watch this. This is quite exciting. I, li- I do like the idea that it sort of starts as a little sort of fun, it's a little goofy thing. The guys, yeah. you know, made this like really sort of great business, entrepreneurial. Yeah. Lauded, yeah. finds himself on you know a morning news show. Isn't this great? She's so and then it, to be and talking then the, to the president. Yeah. And then the turn happens. Yeah. That I think people are not expecting that. That's exciting. It would be a great streaming series that's amazing for three or four episodes, kind of fine for four or five, and then really doesn't pay off. Yeah. You know, those yeah, are my favorites. Set the bar <laughs> that, high. That, that yeah, I really fun. quite like those. That would be the perfect medium. Now, <laughs> now what streaming service most wants a Peter Off show? <laughs> uh, or is most guilty well, of making shows that peter off after the sixth episode at the risk of cr- creating uh-huh. enemies who have no idea who we are right uh-huh. in the in the in the uk right now m- many of our public spaces are emblazoned with banners of something called paramount plus right <laughs> um, <laughs> which apparently is rolling out to here quite soon there was a the, the head of paramount plus was on the radio i keep telling people about this because it drives me crazy i'm sorry like a man possessed he was on the radio
radio to say, yeah, Paramount Plus is coming to the UK. And the, the interviewer just asked him, uh, okay, well, that's great. You know, there's other streaming services. What does Paramount Plus bring? And he's, his literal answer was something like, oh, you know, all the Paramount movies and all the shows. I'm like, well, what are you talking? Like, we don't, I don't, <laughs> what I don't, are those? which, which film, what are you, and that was the end. Like, that was his spot. Like, you're so, the head of this company, name one show. So we don't know if they peter off at the end, but. <laughs> there might be no shows he, for all we know. It sounds like he should have um, Yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry. All I can say about Paramount Plus is I think they've sponsored us for something, maybe. Oh, shit. Not anymore. And, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot, Chris. And they sorry. served up, uh, Daria out of order. So thanks, Paramount Plus. It's a wash. It's a wash. Shame on you. We'll call it even. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to take a quick break to um, get yelled at by Paramount Plus. Uh, and then we'll be right back to talk to Chris and Jen Sugden and to have a little bit more no bad ideas right after these messages. Hi, No Bad Ideas listeners. It's me, Mary-Kate Wiles, whom you might recognize as Eris in Wolf 359, or Kate in Unseen, or from my appearance on this very podcast. I'm here in your ears to let you know about the newest audio project I'm producing and starring in, this time with my group Shipwrecked Comedy, called The Case of the Greater Gatsby. In this all-new radio play set in 1940, detective duo Ford Phillips and Fig Weinshine investigate the murder of famed author-turned-screenwriter F. Scott Fitzgerald. Much like our 2016 web series Edgar Allan Poe's Murder Mystery Dinner Party, the case of The Greater Gatsby will feature real-life characters from the past in imagined circumstances in a caper that weaves fiction with history. I'll be reprising my role of Vivian Nightingale, sultry lounge singer, who I originally played in the 2017 short film The Case of the Gilded Lily. I'm craving adventure If you know This new radio play project will feature many familiar voices from my Anne series, including Sean Persaud, Sinead Persaud, Sarah Grace Hart, Lauren Lopez, Joanna Sotomora, Julia Cho, and more, as well as a sumptuous score by two-time Alan Menken award-winning composer Dylan Glathorn. We are currently funding on Kickstarter, and if you've enjoyed my Anne series, I hope you'll consider supporting this new audio endeavor. But hurry, the campaign ends July 24th. Head to Shipwrecked Comedy's Twitter or Instagram for more info, or search The Case of the Greater Gatsby on Kickstarter. Thank you for supporting independently made, female-produced, historically-inspired audio content. everybody welcome back to no bad ideas we're still here with chris and jen sugden to ask them some of the um most important questions that keep them up at night so let's just get to the good stuff 
Um, why is Paramount Plus so bad? Tell me more about this. <laughs> I don't know. It might be great. <laughs> like, who is telling us anything about it? No, 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 no. All right, all right. Let's get serious. Um, so the two of you have created a wonderful, beloved show with Victoriosity. Um, you are now translating it into a wonderful, will-be-beloved book. How did that happen? What was the journey from the written page to audio waveforms then now back to the written page where it will stay on the written page this time. Like, how did this idea of a book come about? Um, so, well, we started it as an audio drama um, because we wrote originally sort of live comedy theater. And so that it made sense for us to sort of go into audio rather than writing novels. Um, and we got an email from um, an editor at Golantz in the UK, um, which does sci-fi fantasy. Mm -hmm. And she'd heard the show, um, it'd been recommended to her, and she really liked it and said, have you thought about writing novels set in your world? I'd really like some, please. Yeah, <laughs> so, <right. laughs> which is really, really nice. Um, I think at the back of our minds, we thought, wouldn't it be cool one day to turn this into a, a book or a series of books or something? I think that was like one of the dreams after starting the um, audio drama itself, which we love and are going to continue doing. Good, um, good, 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 good. Yes, um, that's our sort of first love. But uh, yeah, so we, but we weren't quite sure how that could happen or, you know, or how that would come about. And I think we were just very lucky <laughs> in that the right person who liked it listened to it at the right time. Right, and, and found their way back uh, to you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of speaks to the, one of the reasons we got into podcasting in the first place, which like, as well as just loving the radio play format and like always having loved that and growing up with it, um, from a live, you know, comedy theater background, right? Th there's nothing quite like, you know, the live theater audience sort of performer interaction experience. It's, it's incredible, but when you're done, you're done. Right. Yeah. And, you know, we did a couple of tours of the Edinburgh, not tours, you know, stints at the Edinburgh fringe over a couple of years. And it's fantastic. Um, an enormous amount of work, but it's, it's, it's like nothing else. It's, it's fantastic. Um, right. and then we, you know, we would tear down and leave and then that that's the end of the show until we build the show somewhere else again. So, you know, that was also motivating us to kind of let's let's you know put something out there that can you know people can be experiencing whether we're awake or not and whether we're driving kit across right. the country or not and that obviously lets people find things that they can like right i and think find that, that more financially sustainable i mean oh, I, mean, that, that well, too. I say sustainable but um like more just you know not the fringe is great and it's wonderful, but you, you, as a performer, you sort of have to treat it like, okay, well, I am going to hemorrhage money a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, a little yeah. bit. And it's extremely expensive to do. And sort of long term, we couldn't have kept no, going back. No, 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 no. Hoping no. that a producer would find us or no, 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 something no. like that. Yeah. No. yeah, yeah. This is, I think, um, we have certainly never done anything anywhere as cool as the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Um, but I think that we had a lot of these same takeaways when we did our so far one and only wolf 359 live show of my god we loved it my lord was that an amazing experience it was fantastic yeah. it was so great to do it in front of an audience of live people we would not give that memory up for anything in the world but my lord uh, you know if there was ever a point in which wolf 359 
threatened to claim our lives, our sanity, our wallets, and our physical <laughs> well-being. It yeah. was in the making of that live show. Yeah. And at the very least, we got the documentation out of it. We got like audio recordings. We got like video recordings out of it. But like beyond that, there was kind of this element of like, oh, my Lord, like we spent so long and it was wonderful and it was amazing. And now it's done and it's gone. And yeah. like that was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is an amazing sort of, you know, effort to, to put into something that then is gone. But then, you know, that's also a part of what makes it wonderful, right? Like, you know, right. you, you see something live, you know, that's not being experienced again, right? Even if it's recorded, it's not being experienced again. It's not yeah. the same, you know, you see people like all these young people filming the concert, right? Like I'm, I'm going to, you know, say, get off my lawn, like filming the concert, <laughs> they're, wa they're watching on their phones, right? Yeah. And, you know, like I, I get it as a kind of reminder of the experience, but as a, as a facsimile of the experience, right. It's 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 not even close, right? There's there, there's just not even a, and there's no point. What were concerts like during your youth, Chris? Back in your day, <laughs> what, what were concerts well, like? Well, 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 we'd go we'd go down um, to the concert hall. Uh, where you mean if, up because it was it was uphill both ways, surely. Uphill both ways, exactly. And if we if we were lucky, uh, of uh, of like maybe once once a month, the the, the big band would be in town. And that that was a four piece, but no, I don't know. What, like, <laughs> the, uh, the colony band. I mean, I'm not that old, but I'm old enough to remember concerts without mobile phones, sure, or, sure, or at sure. least without mobile phones with with video, right? Right. Um, so and certainly so no without point. them being as endemic as they have become. Yeah, I think I think yeah, we're exactly. all old enough to remember that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I, I get it. I get it. Like you know, you're, you're torn between the you want to remind yourself of the experience, and you also want to be in the experience, and that's that's a constant tension with with a lot of things with travel with music with all sorts, right? Yeah. One of the things that I think is so brilliant about Victoriosity and about kind of the way that you've set it up is that it has the sense of kind of being both serialized and serial. Obviously, the characters grow and they develop and they continue, but there is kind of this wonderful sense of it's almost a little like Sherlock Holmesian or those like early film serials of the 1930s where there was a little bit of sense of these are some characters, they go on adventures, you can more or less hop in at different points the adventures are sort of lively and wonderful and brilliant and exciting and thrilling. But there is not kind of a sense of perhaps you need to begin at the beginning and tell like one single long story from the start, which I assume is playing a little bit into your ability to now turn it into a novel. How much are you thinking about balancing returning listeners and absolute newcomers as you are writing Victoriosity in a different medium? That, hey, great, that is the thing question. that keeps us awake at night. Yes, uh, it's really hard <laughs> because on the one hand, so the the novel picks up at the end of season two, which was our last full season, and uh, it's quite a nice end point to open up a new beginning. Which is that? Right. Uh, <laughs> I suppose it's a bit of a spoiler, but um, not not a huge one. Um, Fleet and Clara, who are our protagonists, they open even Greater London's first detective agency at the end of season two. That's right. a nice point to start. So the start of the novels is these fledgling detectives who, well, Fleet has been one in the police force, but now he's um, independent. So there's this new business that they're trying to build together. So it was a nice start point. So it should work for people who love the series and it should work for newcomers. But there is an element of sort of having to fill in a bit of backstory about how they got to that point, but without overdoing that so that either, you know, listeners feel like 
well, I know all this. Um, uh-huh. And also new people coming to it aren't like, wait, what? what's this huge backstory yeah. that I missed? Um, so, yeah, so we are trying to feel our way, <laughs> way forward with that and trying to get a nice balance. I think it is going to be one of the hardest things to pull off in the novel, actually. Yeah, yeah, but I, I think that's right. It's it's tricky. It's, you know, we've just taken some care with it. But, you know, our guiding principle is if you pick up the book and have never heard of the show before, you should not know that you're missing anything, right? right? You're not you're not missing anything, right? I, yeah. I mean, there, there, there's there's more to be gained if you if you do want to go back right. and listen right. to, listen to the audio, either starting there or reading the book and then thinking, oh, I enjoyed that. Oh, there's a, a effectively a prequel from your point of view, right? But it sh- it should be the case, and I, I, I'm hoping that we've we've made it the case that you wouldn't necessarily know you've made any you, you've missed you're coming into a story that's already started. Absolutely. That, that, would, that would be the ideal. Yes. Yeah. But for, for listeners of the show, there are, you know, new characters, but some sort of returning uh, favourites, I think. Yep. And it's the same Fleet and Clara and that we see their fun relationship. And so I think there's, you know, lots about the show that's that has been, that's come across into the novel in, you know, with a new story that I think that listeners will enjoy as well. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. Lovely. What is the division of labor like when writing a novel in tandem? I assume that one of you just starts on page one and starts typing, and one of you begins on the last page and starts typing backwards. And you kind of tunnel <laughs> yeah, through yeah. to the center of the mountain like that. Uh, uh, until you tell me otherwise, I'm just going to assume that this is how you That's work. It. Yeah. That's one it. of you and, does and it forwards, <laughs> the other one does it backwards. That would be much easier. I mean, it's hard, it's hard to write literally <laughs> backwards, <laughs> backwards sentences, but in a way that might be easier. No, you, you're basically right, right? Like we, 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 we carve it up. Um, I mean, if you, as you said, with the, the, the show is, a, is um, it's like a serial. It's like the old time serials, right? What, you know, it's a, it's a thriller. Our episodes end on cliffhangers. They escalate, right? We try to keep the structure with sort of strong a story punctuation like that, the book is similar, right? We want it's you know first and foremost we're writing a comedy that is a thriller. It's 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 exciting and lighthearted. We want to propel people through it and make it a fun read, right? right. So it, in that sense, what we do is quite structured. Um, we don't free write at the structural level anyway, so we can parcel things out basically. But but as uh, which is what we did with the show, right? But. It's kind of, you know, our process is basically to, we, we split up and write different bits, but then we revise each other's work, right? And then we revise the revisions. And by the time it's finished, we've both touched everything, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's yeah. basically how it works. Lovely. That's awesome. It's time consuming, but it, it comes out okay. But then, you know, that's, All right, that's okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, not satisfied with the juggling act of writing a novel. You are now also working on the third season of Victoriosity, correct? Yes. Correct. Yes. What is going to happen? Tell us everything. Spare no detail. Um, in in exacting, <laughs> we're looking for a scoop here. We're looking for an exclusive. So tell us everything. Who dies? Who falls in love? Who are the villains? Tell Ooh. us everything. I think a nice teaser would be. Um, Chris can tell you whether or not he's going to make <laughs> you edit this out. Um, our, our, our inspiration, our sort of mood board for this series was Hound of the Baskervilles. Ooh. So, yes, there is a terror that has fallen across even greater London. And 
No one quite knows what it is. Is it something supernatural? Is it something not supernatural masquerading as such? Or is it something else entirely? Um, Fleet and Clara are going to be on the case to find out. And that is, yeah, there we go. That's it. That's it. You heard it here first, folks. Demon dogs confirmed for season three of Curiosity. <laughs> We're going 100% demon dogs. Throw out everything from before. Yep. Um, it's going to be an yeah. all barking podcast. We're going to get <laughs> Tom Crowley to come into the studio. And just bark out all his lines. Do, do you know what he would? He's such a pro, uh, and he'd do it really well. Um, <laughs> he, oh, he would he's throw like, himself at it with ferocity. Oh, absolutely, he's, pro, he's very versatile. It would be very listenable. Um, uh, you know, he just he just make it work. It'd be terrifying, but also just delightful. Yeah, wouldn't yeah. it? If Tom did it. Yeah, no, that's right. That that is a scoop. You've you've you've. Is that okay? You've, we didn't. We didn't. Do no, I I think that's that's a good amount of a good, a good amount of scoop. We didn't. We didn't reveal the ending where literally everyone, everyone dies. dies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, great, great. Um, this is what I was looking for. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no. That's that's it. We're, we're very excited. So um, the the plan. We're not going to commit to times right now because that's still being fleshed out in production and so forth. And if the last few years has taught us anything, it's that um, time has no meaning. Um, and uh, it's it's a, it's folly to uh, to predict uh, things down to the finest detail. But we are in preparation, and by the time this episode comes out, uh, we will be ramping up to um, uh, fundraising uh, that season three. So this is a great time to get on board, uh, Victoriosity. If you have not heard it already, go back to the beginning. You listen to season one, season two, and by the time you're done with that, uh, there may well be a fundraiser out where you can. Uh, support the show, help us get to season three, and also acquire some limited edition goodies that will um, be available only during that time. Maybe Tom uh, reading the entire script um, as a dog. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, there we go. That's, Absolutely. Yeah. We could do that as a reward. We could do that. <laughs> Absolutely. So you heard it here, folks. Go catch up, listen to Victoriosity, get ready for season three, which will be coming out. What was the date again? Later. Ah, all right, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that that is all the time that we can steal from you, Chris and Jen. You have uh, oodles and canoodles of writing to get back to, so we're going to let you go off and do that. But thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, where oh, should folks us. go to listen to your stuff? What is the destination for all things Greater London? All things even greater London uh, can be found uh, with the podcast Victoriosity at victoriosity.com or Victoriosity on all podcatchers. I think I misspelled it last time I was on the show, so I'm going to give it another go. This time, Victoriosity is spelled V-I-C-T-O-R-I-O-C-I-T-Y. Um, Fact checking, is that correct spelling? <laughs> I believe so, yes. Thank you, John. Yeah. Uh, why good. didn't I just let you do it rather than do it again and risk the high wire act? Um, <laughs> so type, type that into anything and you'll find the show. Start with the beginning of season one um, and, and uh, there's about 13 episodes will bring you up to, uh, up to where we are now. Brilliant. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, it's been great. Of course. And we'll and we'll either give you a phone call when some exec demands that we sell him the ideas that we talked about on the show, or uh, do. if that doesn't happen in six months, we'll have you back to come up with some more bad ideas. We'll just keep throwing things in the sink until something sticks to the wall. This has been No Bad Ideas, produced by Gabrielle Urbina, Sarah Shackett, and Zach Valenti. 
Many thanks to our patrons for their partnership in making this show happen. And a special shout out to our Idealist members, Jennifer Schneider, Rena Sarame, Jeffrey Felsher, and Dia. Today's episode features music by Statesher and Jazar from freemusicarchive.org. You can support the show at nobadideaspodcast.com slash support. And if you love this show, please leave a rating or review wherever you listen and share it with someone you love.